Uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, before we jump into uh, the Gospel of Mark, which is what we're in, uh, I just want to remind those who uh, maybe haven't purchased one yet, we have more journals for purchase. We and we're just encouraging you to, as we go through the book of Mark, to use this in your devotional time. You can, you can journal in it. Uh, you can bring it to services on Sundays, and it can... can be a place where you can take your notes. Uh, if there's something intelligible, I say, that you might want to remember, you could write it down in there. Uh, but uh, chances are slim. Uh, just kidding. If I, if I start uh, slurring my words this morning, it's not uh, because I have Baileys in my coffee. It's actually, I, was a, I actually spent the weekend in Manitoba. Uh, Colton was referencing a church, Southland Church, which uh, we're kind of connected with. In a, I'm a part of a, a mentoring group. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a thing that they call church renewal, and the idea behind church renewal is, is to renew pastors uh, and, and renew leaders, and through the renewal of leaders, uh, through that to renew the churches, right? And so it's not a, it's not a program-based thing, it's, it it's actually starts in the inside and works its way out, and my wife Lisa and I were just there this past weekend for, uh, for one of their weekend events, uh, and it was really impactful, really powerful, and uh, just continue to be excited about where the Lord is leading me, but also I think where he is leading our church. Uh, and, uh, and Colton did mention it, but I'm, I'm going to keep putting it in front of you the Set Free Weekend on April 24th, 25th, a couple of things about that. Uh, one, be praying uh, for us, uh, for us as a church as we head into that. I think anytime we, we try and uh, help people find freedom, uh, we are entering into battle. And so I would invite you to be praying as we as a church head up into that weekend uh, because I think God wants to do some things, and as we're going to see in the book of Mark, uh, there's a very real enemy, and it's not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and spirits of the, the spiritual realm, the evil spirits of the spiritual realm, and they are uh, not for us uh, actually finding life in Christ. And so uh, we are, uh, I'm excited about the weekend, but I also know it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a challenge for us as a body as we step forward into that. Um, one of the reasons I'm excited is for, for you uh, individually finding freedom, but I would say also for us corporately. I think there's something powerful that will happen in the DNA of our church um, as we collectively uh, take risks and pursue Jesus together and, see, uh, and pursue all he has for us. So that's all I'll say on that. We'll, you'll hear more about it uh, later. Okay. The Gospel of Mark. Here we go. Uh, Gospel of Mark, first book. Uh, First gospel written about the life of Jesus, and, it w- and because of that, I believe it's the most important book for us to study. Mark is giving the account of Peter, and so as we read through the story of Mark, you'll see stories about Peter, and, uh, and so that's the perspective in which we're actually reading and looking at uh, the stories of Jesus. Uh, we've talked about some key themes, but I just want to highlight a couple that we're going to look at this morning. So this morning, we're going to finish the rest of chapter 1. And so we've taken a little bit of time getting through chapter 1, and now we've got to pick up the pace, because uh, we don't want to do the book of Mark forever, right? And so we're going to go from where we ended last week to the end of chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at who is Jesus, uh, the kingdom of God theme is going to come out, breaking through barriers. Uh, these are some of the key themes in the book of Mark that we will see um, in the next few verses. So we're looking at Mark Chapter 1, verse 21 to 45, uh, by the end of Mark, we already have Jesus, or by the, by the end of ver- chapter 1 here in, in 
the book of Mark, we already have Jesus teaching, driving out demons, healing, praying, preaching, cleansing, all of this action-packed events all happen in the first chapter of Mark. And so the, the outline of kind of where we're going today, Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, Jesus heals the many, and then Jesus preaches in Galilee, Jesus cleanses a leper. You'll see those different segments in your journals if you have one. And, uh, and so it's going to be a challenge for us to give every little paragraph, every story, the amount of time that it probably deserves. And just so you know, we're going to skip over stuff. We're going to, we'll mention it and we're going to move quickly. And so there's going to be sections as we go through the book of Mark where you feel like, man, slow down. We didn't uh, spend enough time there. And there's going to be sections where we do spend more time. Uh, just, it's just the nature of the way it is. And so we're going to move through the first few stories pretty quickly. And we're going to camp out uh, a bit on the last story at the end of uh, Mark chapter 1. So, uh, verse 21, we're continuing, and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So just a couple of quick notes. Capernaum, uh, this is an area uh, outside of the Sea of Galilee, and it's right there on the map. And I, I had someone complain to me that these maps were not engaging enough. Can you believe that? Uh, they said, you need some color on those maps or something. And so uh, sometimes when you give complaints, I just send it to the complaint department, which is garbage. But sometimes I say, you know, we can do something about that. So here you go. A uh, little bit of color uh, for, for those who find the black and white a little too uh, just blah. So uh, there's the, the area in which the stories of the gospel take place. And we're focusing uh, right now in the life and ministry of Jesus up around the Sea of Galilee. And so if we zoom in, zoom in there, uh, you'll see Capernaum uh, there beside the Sea of Galilee on the upper left-hand side there. And this became Jesus' residence after leaving Nazareth. So this is where Jesus actually lived uh, probably during his ministry time. And it was, it was strategically away from Tiberias, uh, where, uh, which was a political city which was the capital city where Herod was at the time, and Jesus was able to avoid interference with political and religious authorities because of where he was. And we'll notice as we read through the story that he doesn't actually enter the capital city. Uh, he actually stays away from it. Many of the inhabitants in Capernaum were Jews. Some of them weren't, but many of them were. And uh, many of them labored as fishermen, farmers, artisans, merchants, uh, officials, including tax collectors, and that was kind of the makeup of the types of folks uh, that were living in Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum and other towns had synagogues. And this is important for us to realize. You'll, you'll start to see that Jesus, uh, at the first half of Mark, spends a lot of time teaching in synagogues because a lot of the towns had synagogues, which were just local gathering places where the Torah would be taught. Last week we talked about the Torah. Uh, so the, the Torah would be taught at synagogues. That's different than the temple. So there's one temple, and the temple is in Jerusalem. If we go back, uh, you'll see Jerusalem down at the bottom of the map there uh, and left uh, there, and so we'll see that Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem uh, as the book goes on, but in Jerusalem was the temple. But throughout Judea, throughout the land, there was synagogues in the little towns where the Torah was taught, and we see Jesus, uh, his practice of entering into a town, going to the synagogue, uh, and teaching, and we see that here in Mark chapter 1. So Jesus is recognized as he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach. He's recognized as one who has authority. 
One of the key themes in Mark that we'll see is he's trying to establish for us that Jesus has authority and that Jesus has power. That Jesus is the authority above all authorities and there is nothing more powerful on earth than Jesus. And so Jesus has authority. They recognize it right away as Jesus has authority. And this is different than the scribes, the teachers of the law that they had, who actually didn't teach with authority. And they didn't try to teach with authority, actually. Uh, So teachers of the law would often say, they would reference Moses. And so they would base their authority on what Moses would say. So Moses said this, or maybe a previous rabbi in their history, you know, rabbi so-and-so said this. But none of the teachers of the law would, would claim authority on themselves. They would always go to a historic person in their, in their faith story to go back to uh, and teach what they said or remind people of what they said, and that was their source of authority. So when it says Jesus spoke as one with authority, we kind of get a glimpse of that if, if we were to look in Matthew chapter 5, and you know, Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. That's an example of Jesus speaking with authority. He's saying, you've heard it said, other people have said this, Rabbi says this, Moses said this, but I'm telling you something different. So he being one that spoke with authority is basically saying that he wasn't defaulting actually to Jewish religion or Jewish history or a historic person, Jesus was bringing a new thing. He was saying a new thing. He was teaching a new thing that came out of the context uh, of the Jewish tradition and religion. It came out of that context, but he was changing it. He taught as one with authority in and of himself. And immediately, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you done what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And so that word immediately, you guys remember we talked about that the first week? It's used over and over again in, uh, in the book uh, of Mark. And that's, the, that's, that's this phrase in the, the Greek, kai uthis, and that just means at once or immediately or right away. And this occurs 12 times in the first chapter. We've already seen this word 12 times. And so if you're actually reading in the Greek, it has, this, it has this pace throughout the book. It's just going to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And then this happened. And, 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 and you'll see that it'll slow down eventually. But right now, the pace is, is rapid. And, then, and so D- Jesus encounters this, um, this man possessed by an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit speaks and refers to Jesus as the Holy One of God. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And there was only a, one other place in all of Scripture where, where a person was referred to as the Holy One of God. Uh, do you know where that was or who that was? It was Samson in Judges 16, 17. That was a tough question. Uh, uh, so in, in, Samson in Judges 16, 17 is referred to as the, as the Holy One of God set apart for God. And what was unique about Samson compared to other people in, in the Old Testament, if you know the story, you'll know it was his strength. That Samson was, was stronger than everyone. That was kind of the gift and the blessing that God had given him. One of Mark's things that he wants us to see is that, like I said, Jesus has authority, but that Jesus is the strong man. And we're going to focus in on that when we get to Mark chapter 3, uh, where Jesus does some teaching on that. And so, uh, so stay tuned. We're going to dive more into that, but I wanted to draw that out at this time, that Jesus is the strong one. There is no one stronger than Jesus. There is something like Samson about him. He is the strongest. And, 
I, I know I've often been confused as being the strong man. That's, that's, a, that's what Lisa calls me, the strong man. Uh, actually, Mara, Mara, our worship leader, uh, she's a physiotherapist, and last time I broke my hand, I was going there for physio, and, uh, and, and I squeezed, the, I squeezed the, uh, that strength thing. Uh, I don't know. Mara, help me out. What is it called? There you go. Whatever that was. I, I, I squeezed that thing. Uh, and, then, uh, and then she said, oh, yeah, okay. And then how about you squeeze with your left hand? There was not very much difference between my broken hand and my left hand. <laughs> not the strong. Anyways. Jesus uh, is the strong one. There, there is nothing that can stop him. Uh, and we're going to see that as it unfolds. So we see that this, uh, this impure spirit calls Jesus the Holy One of God, and then Jesus rebukes him saying, be silent. Be silent. And we're going to see this three times already in, the, in, the, in chapter 1, and we'll see it throughout the book, that uh, Jesus is very concerned with silence. He does not want people telling others who he is. Scholars refer to this as the messianic secret. Now, why wouldn't Jesus want who he is to be told? I think there's a number of reasons why. Uh, but before I answer that question, I, I think it's interesting to note that Jesus is being the Messiah before he's claiming to be the Messiah. Jesus is being the Messiah before he's claiming to be the Messiah. And I look at just to pause here, I look at the Western world, the Western church culture, evangelical Christianity, and I wonder if there's a lesson in here for us that we are to be disciples of Jesus before we tell people what we are. It, it should be observable. Uh, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you need to tell people that you're a follower of Jesus for them to, to actually know that there's anything different about you. I think we've missed something. Jesus is very content to actually live in silence, to, to let his actions, to let his ministry, to let his character, to let all these things speak for him. And he does that very intentionally, I think, because when we come to realizing who he is at the, at the end of the book, uh, it's, it becomes significantly profound. Which brings me to the next point, that the Messiah has connotations of military deliverance, and there would have been swift intervention from the Romans if, if it got out that Jesus was the Messiah. Because people thought the Messiah was going to come to deliver Israel from uh, the occupation of Rome. Uh, I think that any claim about who Jesus is that doesn't recognize the cross is incomplete. And this is another reason why I think Jesus uh, remains, uh, wants people to keep silent. Because if they think he's the Messiah, they're going to have an idea of what that looks like and what that means. And they're going to look for him to actually, uh, like I said, come against Rome in a milit militaristic kind of way. Jesus establishes himself as the Messiah. Mark wants that to be clear. But then there's like this, this switch that happens at the end of the book where the Messiah suffers. And if you remember from week one, uh, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the Lord himself. And, and those are all three different titles, but, but the thing that all three of them had in, in common was that nobody expected any of those three to suffer. And so Jesus establishes in his life and his ministry, that he's the Messiah. And then there's this turn where he begins to suffer and go to the cross. 
because his deliverance and his ministry does not quite look like the way they were expecting. And I wonder if sometimes it doesn't look the way that we're expecting him to show up either. So be silent, Jesus tells, tells his in, uh, unclean spirit, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. So we see the theme, theme again, that Jesus has authority. He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, fame spread everywhere throughout the, all the surrounding region of Galilee. Despite Jesus trying to keep a low profile, despite Jesus trying to keep his identity quiet and silent and hidden, his fame begins to increase. And immediately, there's a word again, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And remember, those are the four fishermen that he called that we talked about last week that are now his disciples that are following in behind him. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever and immediately they told him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Now there's so much in here. And like I said, we just got to skip some stones across some of these passages. But to, but to highlight a couple of things, in, in the book of Mark, Jesus' miracles are, are referred to uh, with the word that we would translate power. Uh, and the Greek is dunamis. And, and it's where we get the word dynamite from. Uh, that Jesus came in power, that he was the strong one, that he was the powerful one, that there was nothing that could stop him. And if you contrast that to the book of John, for example, when John talks about miracles, John uses the word signs. And so you see the different flavors of the different writers coming out here. For John, John, when Jesus did miracles, John wanted us to see that this was the sign of a coming kingdom. That every miracle that happens on earth is just a foretaste of what is yet to come. I, I kind of view, you know, John as like, it's like the Costco samples, right? You go through Costco and you, you have a sample of something. You're like, oh, I want, that's a foretaste. I want some more of that, right? And so that's, that's what John, uh, John uses, sorry, I just had a flashback. I, we, we were in college and we were poor. And the only thing we could afford was Polish hot dogs at Costco. And so uh, we ate Polish hot dogs. And we went, we, it was basically Polish, host, <laughs> Polish hot dogs. Oh, sorry. Um, and samples. I survived on that at Costco for years. Amazing. Um, foretaste. That's what I was saying. Foretaste of what is to come. John said, the, the miracles are a sign. There's, there's, there's something coming. There's a kingdom coming. Heaven is coming to earth. There's a new creation that's going to happen, and it's coming. That was, that's kind of John's focus. You go to Mark. Mark's focus is the power of God is here right now. And Jesus is the strong one. Jesus has all authority. There is nothing that can stop him. And every miracle that Jesus is going to perform actually establishes his power against other powers. Shows that he is stronger. He is more authoritative. So we have the story of Jesus, you know, this, this first miracle of Jesus healing uh, this woman. So not the first miracle. He just cast out an unclean spirit. But he, we have this, this, uh, this act of power where Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And often we don't think of Peter as having a family, but Peter did. Peter was married. They're in Peter's mother-in-law's house. And if we remember, uh, they left their families and they left their businesses, but here they're hanging out at the family's house anyways, right? So back to last week's themes. But Peter had a wife. Peter probably had kids. So one of Jesus' disciples 
you know, understands what it's like to follow Jesus and the complexities of having, uh, being married and having a family. But this is one of the four acts of liberation in Mark to liberate women. We'll see four stories of how Jesus liberates women. This is one of four. And, and which comes back to our theme of breaking barriers, that, that Jesus over and over and over again is going to break barriers. There's gender barriers that Jesus kind of ignores and he breaks. And it's still sad to me, I think, that 2,000 years later, I think the church still has some work to do in breaking the gender barrier. Uh, that God calls women and men to follow him, to be disciples. And, and, Mark's, or, and Peter's mother-in-law here serves as an example of a disciple of Jesus. Uh, and so we'll see that Jesus breaks the gender barrier. Jesus breaks economic barriers. Jesus breaks ethnic barriers, religious barriers, cultural barriers. Over and over and over again, all of the, the circles and the in- inclusive and exclusive uh, barriers that, that were put up either by religion or by culture or whoever, that Jesus ignores them and he breaks through them. And so Peter's mother-in-law is an example of discipleship. And we don't think that right now at this point in the story. But we'll find later, where when Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 that the Son of Man came to serve and not, not to be served, but to serve. And the whole thing flips on its head. It's like, well, I thought you were the Messiah. And I thought, you know, you were coming in power and authority. And he, he, the whole thing flips and he basically says, power and authority in my kingdom looks different. It's upside down. And we don't kind of find that out to a t- twist later in Mark. But the word that he uses in Mark chapter 10 that the Son of Man came to serve is the exact same word that Mark uses to refer to Peter's mother-in-law, this nameless woman. And we see what happens, that she has an encounter with Jesus, that Jesus took her hand and he lifted her up. And we, and we go back to last week when Jesus encounters his disciples, he says, come follow me. It all starts with Jesus' initiative, Jesus' encounter with us as people. That God comes in flesh through Jesus, encounters us. And then he touches the woman and then he heals her. And, and now we're reminded last week of the call to discipleship. Come follow me and I will make you to become. The transformation actually happens through Jesus, through his spirit to us. So Jesus comes to Peter's mother-in-law, touches her, encounters her, transforms her, heals her. And, he, and she stands up and it says that she began to serve them. She serves Jesus and she serves the disciples. And reminded here again of how we were called to love God and love people. Jesus' mother-in-law is like this micro picture of what it means to be a disciple, to encounter Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and then to basically come, uh, come to full health, come to full life, and then give yourself serving Jesus and serving others. Beautiful picture. And that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So this is sundown, uh, and and so this whole period that's happening at this point in in the first chapter of Mark is one 24-hour day. And we see that this is the end of the 24-hour Sabbath where people could actually travel because they had rules around Sabbath. You could only travel so far. You could only do so many things. In fact, healing was against the rules on the Sabbath. And so people were waiting waiting for the Sabbath to be over. Jesus, you know, his fame is accumulating and they want to be around him and all of a sudden like, the, okay, Sabbath is over, let's get to Jesus. And so they all show up uh, and they're hanging out outside of Peter's mother-in-law's house uh, wanting to get a piece of Jesus. And so 
People brought to him all who were sick. Everybody say all. And then it says he healed what? He healed many. Not everyone was healed. Not everyone was healed. And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but I think it's important to recognize that many were healed, that all who were sick actually came to Jesus. But Jesus did not heal everybody. And we don't know why, but there's just the reality that many were healed, even though all came to be healed. And so right away, we just see this tension between this foretaste, right, this kingdom that is coming, that is being observed, but yet people's experiences and stories in that tension and that reality were different. And that's true for us, isn't it? If we're actually going to believe that Jesus has all authority, that Jesus has all power, and that his kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, uh, that brings us to a point of tension. I'm going to shelf that because we're going to come back to that when we talk about the, the story of the leper. And so here again, we just see that there's... He would not permit the demons to speak. He wanted to keep his identity a secret. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So some people have asked, you know, how do you know that this was Peter's story? How do you know that Peter is the one telling the story and that Mark is recording it? Uh, And there's lots of maybe indications of that, and we don't know for sure. But this is actually one of the, the points, uh, you'll, see, you'll see this type of translation often in Mark, that this translation is odd. The language is odd. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. It, it's an odd translation. It's even more odd in the Greek language. And, and, but if you actually think of Peter telling Mark the story, right? And then, and then I went here. With these guys. And Mark's writing the story and he says, Simon and those who were with him. Right? That, that, that actually is where it makes sense. We'll say that a number of times. Where Mark refers to Simon and those with him. Uh, assumingly because he's actually listening to Peter tell the story. And he's telling it for Peter. Just an interesting piece there for you. So they searched for him. Which literally means they hunted for him. That's what the Greek word is. We, don't actually, we actually look at this, we say they searched for him. Oh, isn't that nice? They went out looking for him. No, the word in the Greek is like, it's negative. If I said, I'm, I'm hunting you down, uh, you wouldn't think of that as a positive thing that I'm saying. This is what Mark is actually saying, that they hunted for Jesus. They were upset. Jesus had offended them. It's negative. And then they found him. And said to him, everyone is looking for you. So, the, so Mark often will say things with a double meaning. It means this, but it also means this. And, and here we can read this phrase, everyone is looking for you, as, as the disciples being just, you know, they're, they're, they're giving a hyperbole. They're, they're just exaggerating. It's like, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Everyone is here. And we can read it that way. But we can also read it this way, that everyone is looking for you, that Jesus is the universal answer to the question that everybody in the world is asking. Whether people know it or not, they are searching and looking for Jesus. People often don't even know what they're looking for. We talked about this in the Chasing Carrot series that we just finished, that, that we search and we grasp and we, we go after all sorts of things. 
mostly because we don't actually know what we're looking for. In Ecclesiastes, it says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. That you and I were born with a longing that nothing in this temporary world can satisfy. Everyone is looking for Jesus. They just might not know it yet. And so the disciples come, they hunted him down. Everyone is looking for you. And here's the irony. They were hunting for Jesus. They wanted to find him, but they wanted to find him so they could get Jesus onto their own agenda. Many people are looking for God in their lives, but they still want to be Lord themselves. They were hunting him down because they were offended that Jesus went off on his own when there was all these people that needed him. And they, they like, Jesus, get on our agenda. Jesus, come follow us. It's like, all, already in a few verses, they respond to Jesus' call to follow him. And then they, they screw it up. And they're mad at Jesus because Jesus isn't following them. And how often is that true of you and me? That we have these moments where we're like, Jesus, I want to follow you. And we talked about the last week. Let's, you know, we want to follow Jesus. And probably already this week, you can, refl- you, <laughs> you can uh, be encouraged by these messed up disciples and know that you're not alone. Because if you're anything like me, you have all intentions of following Jesus. And then you walk away and you get frustrated because Jesus just won't get on your agenda. Jesus, why don't you get, just get behind me and follow me? And Jesus said, you get behind me. And, 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 and so everyone's looking for you. We're frustrated. There's all this need. There's all this people. Your ministry is growing. You're becoming famous. And everybody is coming to get you. Isn't this what you were looking for? Isn't this, what, this is, isn't this what you want? And then how does Jesus respond? He says, let's go on from here. He said to them, let's go on to the next towns. That I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He says, let's go on. I am not going to be tempted by the crowds. I'm not going to be tempted by the fame. You know, on the outside, everything I'm doing looks successful, but I have a different agenda, and that's my father's agenda. How did Jesus actually have this much focus and direction and clarity on what he was supposed to do with his life when we would look at the situation and say, everything is going successful, why wouldn't Jesus just camp out there a little bit longer? Like, look at all the opportunity. Look at all the need. Look at all the people that have come to you. Isn't that what you came for? But Jesus, if we go back, what's the first thing that it said in this section? And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus did not respond to every need. Why? Because he got up in the morning, spent time with his father, got clarity for what he was supposed to be doing with his life. You and I are called to be God-pleasers, not people-pleasers. And the only way we can become God-pleasers is knowing what the Father is telling us. You know, this is why we do the Hearing God course at SunWest. If we actually don't learn how to hear the voice of the Father, it's hard for us to be God-pleasers instead of people-pleasers. When Jesus got more busy, he prayed more. When Jesus got more busy, he prayed more. When I get more busy, I pray less. That's one of the first things that I'll just cut out. I was like, I don't have time for that. Um, I'm tired. i got to sleep in. When Jesus was tired, after a full day of ministry, we just read that full 24-hour day of ministry, he was casting out demons. 
people. He was healing people. Everybody in town came to them. You think he'd be tired? You think he'd sleep in? But no, he got up early in the morning while it was still dark, went off to a desolate place to spend time with the Father because he knew that's what he needed. If we don't have a clear sense of what God wants, we will do whatever everybody else wants. And if you're a people pleaser, and I struggle with that, it becomes incredibly hard when people are looking for your time, looking for your energy, and you don't have a clarity from God the Father and what you should be doing with your time and your energy. It's so easy to start following people instead of following Jesus. And a leopard came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And so we're going to talk about healing more as we go through the book of Mark. But I do want to pause here and come back to this tension that we referred to before. This man believes that God is able. So this is a posture of faith. This is a posture of belief. This is a posture of vulnerability. Many of us don't, if we're honest, don't believe that God is able to heal. We don't believe that God is able. But here, but here we see a man that believes that God is able. And so he comes in humility. He comes in vulnerability. But if you don't believe that God is able to heal, it's, it's way easier that way, isn't it? It, it? it takes less, there's less tension. There's less risk. There's less looking in the mirror. There's less questions. There's less doubt. There's less, it, it's so much easier if, we could, if God just wasn't able to heal. Uh, that'd be so much easier. And, and that's why many people that claim to be followers of Jesus actually don't believe that God can show up and heal because it's just easier. And let's just recognize that. It's easier, but that's not necessarily because it's true. Th- th- this man recognizes the truth that God is able, that Jesus is able. And as soon as you actually believe that, you have entered into a predicament. You have entered into a place of vulnerability, a place of risk, a place of questions and mystery that I, as a pastor, won't be able to answer for you. There might be smarter people out there that can answer for you, but I can't. But if God is able and he doesn't heal, what does that mean? Does that mean he's not willing? Does that mean something's wrong? Does that mean there's unconfessed sin in my life? Does that mean there's, some, there's this or that? And I'll just say that I don't know. The story doesn't end that way, but I think many of us can relate to this first part of the story. God, I believe you're able if you're willing Heal me. If, I'm, if you're willing, make me clean. And we live in this belief and this faith, but also this reality. And that is the, the tension of following Jesus. And I would encourage you not to ignore the tension, not to ignore the doubt, not to, not, not to just, you know, some of you have been looking for healing from God in a specific way for a long time. And we'll see in the book of Mark, and I think this is why Mark is such an encouragement for so many people, it's not just about the power of Jesus, not just about the authority of Jesus, it's also about the suffering of Jesus and that there is something beautiful that God does in our lives in that period of tension and waiting. We're going to look at that more uh, in other weeks, but for now, back to the story. So this leopard comes. If you will, you can make me clean. And the word leper comes from the Greek word leptain, which means to peel off. And this is probably not re- referring to modern leprosy, which is Hansen's disease, but it, it refers to a variety of skin disorders. And you'll see them in Leviticus 13, 14, uh, Numbers 12, but Le- Leviticus 4, 13, 14, major context if you want to go back and read about it. Uh, but leprosy 
What's being referred to as leprosy here could include boils, burns, itches, ringworms, scalp conditions. Anybody feeling uncomfortable right now? Um, there was as many as 72 afflictions, skin afflictions defined as leprosy. It could have been 72 different things. According to Leviticus 13 to 14, lepers were to wear torn clothes. They, they were to, to have disheveled hair. They were to cry unclean, unclean wherever they went. They were to live alone outside of the community. Leprosy was actually taught that this, this was a living death. That this, this is what was believed at the time. That this was a living death. They were living, but they were actually dead. They were cut off from all sources of life, all sources of relationship, joy, touch. And healing from leprosy was the equivalent of actually raising somebody from the dead. So what would happen right now, you know, if someone stood up in here and said, I have coronavirus. This awkward little hum just came over the room. No, let's, just, let's just engage this thought for a second. Okay, let's say uh, Brent Johansson is a big bald guy up here. Stand, stand up, Brent. So, so Brent just stood up right now and he said, I got coronavirus. Okay, we're all laughing right now, but Brent actually came and confessed to me before the service. He's like, is it okay if I'm here? And I said, no, Jesus is more powerful than that. No, just <laughs> so if he, if he stood up and said, I got coronavirus... Thanks, Brent. You can sit down. Um, what would you do? Right here, what, what would you do? No, you, I heard you answer. Run away. How do you say run away in Spanish? What's that? Yes, that. Uh, <laughs> run away. You would run away. You would be secluded. You would tell them to go away. Get out of here. You would run in the opposite direction. You, you know, how many of you would touch them? You wouldn't touch them. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go near them. You would, you would get as far away from them as you can. You would, you would put them, you know, in, in like a tube like this. If we had a tube like this, we, we don't. Some of us has them on order. No, we don't. Uh, you get a tube like this. We, we put them in a tube. We don't want anything to do with them. This, this is a very obviously relevant thing right now in our world, that gives you a very relevant picture of what it might have meant to have leprosy in the first century. You know, I, I have a friend who was on a ship and, and they, they were coming into Cambodia and it, 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 came, uh, it came out that somebody on the ship had coronavirus. And, they, uh, and I don't know if they've been let off the ship yet. For, so as far as I know, for the last week, they have actually been held in isolation in their rooms on the ship. So you can imagine being isolated. You know, you, you start to think of the victims in this situation. Uh, they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what their fate is. They, you know, they can't talk to anybody. They, they are distant from everybody. Everybody is avoiding them. And so, yes, there's a very physical reality going on, but there's also a very social and emotional pain that is happening. Now, imagine living like that for a decade or two decades or more. And we know that this isn't just about leprosy, this isn't just about coronavirus, that, that what is being represented with the story of the leopard is people that we encounter every day. People where there might be economic difference, someone who's at a different economic class than you, and you've actually, maybe not intentionally, but you've actually separated yourself from them. 
You don't talk to them. You don't interact with them. You know, maybe it's the way somebody smells. Maybe it's the way somebody looks. Uh, you know, it's very discouraging for me to, to look at our world now and see, you know, things like racism just rising again. I was like, I thought we were moving beyond that. But segregation, separation is unfortunately a part of our everyday life. We have stereotypes. We have, we treat different people with different backgrounds and ethnicities different. You know, there's kids in school, you know, for you that are in high school or maybe in college and you know, you have like different groups. You got the nerds and you got the jocks and you got, um, you know, the cool kids, which maybe you just automatically think you're the cool kid. Uh, funny how that happens. But, but we create these groups. And I know that in a room this size that there are many people that have experienced what this leper has experienced and they've been separated, they've been segregated, they have... Uh, they have been prevented from experiencing human intimacy, relationship, touch, acceptance. This is not just a 2,000 years ago issue. This is not just a coronavirus issue. This is actually an everyday issue that Jesus came to break down. And so we see here in the story of the leper that the leper came to him imploring and kneeling, this posture of vulnerability and humility like we just talked about, God, Jesus, I believe you're able. Are you willing? And so moved with pity, and, and actually the Greek, there, the Greek word there is anger, that Jesus was angry. And I don't think he's angry at the guy for asking. I think he's angry at this whole system that he's trying to break apart. He feels anger for this guy, this righteous anger, this, this, this justice that he wants to make right. And so moved with pity, moved with anger, moved with, I think the NIV say, says indignant. He was indignant. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Notice what Jesus does first. Jesus, Jesus the, the man was healed at Jesus' words. Be clean. We, we know that, that Jesus can create with his words. Jesus can do miracles with his words. We know that God... When he, God speaks something, he creates out of his spoken word. And so Jesus could have just said, be healed. But we notice that Jesus doesn't speak. His primary, his primary response to this vulnerable man in the situation was not to speak healing over him. But it says that he stretched out his hand and touched him. Why would Jesus touch him? Well, think about what this meant that we just talked about. This, this man was not just broken because of what was going on in his body. He was broken emotionally. He was broken socially. He was broken relationally. He, and, and Jesus comes to bring shalom to him. And we talk about this word at Sun West, which, which just basically means living in holistic, being holistically healed, having holistic peace, living in right relationship with God, others, self, and the world, that Jesus wants to bring shalom, the whole kingdom, for this man. And you can imagine what would be communicated without being verbalized if Jesus just said, be healed, and the man was healed, and then Jesus touched him. What would that have communicated? That would have communicated, until you were clean, until you were ready, you weren't acceptable to me. I can touch you now because you got your stuff together. In fact, at that time, it was believed, part of the reason 
why, this, why the, the term unclean is being used is because the primary thing being healed is not the disease. It doesn't say he was healed. It said he was made clean because the primary thing being healed was bringing this, this guy back into relational intimacy with Jesus and with his community. Because it was believed at that time that God would not be in the presence of anything unclean. But if we believe that God is Jesus, that Jesus is God with flesh on, then we have to rethink some of those lies about God. That God is not afraid of our uncleanliness. That God does not wait for us to get our act together. That God does not wait for us to be perfect. God does not wait for us to to recover from that addiction. God doesn't wait for us to get all of our stuff and our lives together before we become acceptable that we can be in his presence. He leads with his presence. And so God comes to us in our presence and he touches us because we need healing. And most of us need healing and not, not physical healing. We need emotional healing. And so he brings shalom into the life of this leper. He stretched out his hand and he touched him before he spoke anything. And whatever the distance you think is between you and God, I promise you that God's hand is long enough to stretch out and touch you. Whatever the difference you think between yourself and God, I promise you that the hand of God is long enough to stretch out and touch you before your life gets cleaned up. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. So you see the silence here again. Keep it to yourself, please. Because you don't know what's going to happen if you you say something. See, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for, uh, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So we see here that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. The story begins with Jesus being famous, being on the inside, everybody coming, trying to come to Jesus. The leper is on the outside. Nobody, everybody is avoiding the leper. Jesus transforms this leper. He has an encounter with Jesus. He's transformed. And what happens? The leper moves to the inside, and Jesus ends up where at the end of the story? On the outside. Jesus ends up on the outside. Jesus trades places with the leper. This is actually the gospel message in a nutshell. When Jesus went to the cross, he traded places with you and I. Our brokenness, our addictions, our our sins, our struggles, our our hurts, our pains, our sufferings. When Jesus went on the cross, he actually took our place. Now, every time we encounter stories about Jesus, there's always a double application. Because Jesus encounters us. And for some of you this, this morning, you need to know, like I said, that God's hand is long enough to reach you no matter what's going on in your life. But there's also another application because we're called to be disciples, which means we follow Jesus. Remember we talked about that last week? We mimic Jesus. We live like Jesus. And the second application for a story like this is that we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
In fact, throughout the New Testament, we know that the church is referred to as the body of Christ. And so if God is going to reach a leper now, how do you think he might do that? Through his body, which is who? Which is us. Some of you this morning need a touch from Jesus. You need the presence of Jesus. You need to know that he loves you even before you've done anything. Some of you this morning know that there's lepers in your life. And Jesus is calling you to reach out your hand and to touch them. To not wait till they become acceptable to you. To not wait till they smell better. To not wait till they get their act together. Uh, he's actually calling you to become present with them, whatever mess they might find themselves in. And I, I want to invite you to, to stand with me. And we're going to end a little bit differently this morning. Uh, we're going to close with a song in a minute. But uh, stand up if you're able. I said we're going to end differently. Nobody stood. They're like, no, I'm said. Um, and I, I mean, we could just come to church every Sunday and, you know, sit and listen and worship, and that would, that would be fine. But, um, but, but I actually believe that God wants to change us and encounter, and have an encounter with us uh, so that we would leave different than when we came. Um, and I want to invite you to close your eyes, and I, I'm going to ask you... I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and I'm going to respond after the question, and we're going to pause here for a minute. But I would like to know, with your eyes closed, if there's anyone here in the room, you know, when you hear the story of the leper, when you hear the story of the person who you feel like has, has been uh, rejected in some form, maybe by God, maybe by others, but you can relate to that. I just want to invite you courageously to even lift a hand with, with, with her eyes closed. If that's you, to lift a hand. You can relate to that. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to opt out of this, but I would encourage you not to because, like I said, Jesus' hands and feet are our hands and feet. Um, if you're willing... We would love to lay hands on you and pray for you. Um, and we're not going to ask you to explain your story. We're, we're not looking for any details. But um, if you're someone who feels like they can identify with that leper in whatever way, uh, I'm going to invite you in a moment to put your hand up again. And, and if you're willing to be vulnerable like that leper, remember it started with vulnerability. He didn't know what was going to happen. He just came forward in vulnerability. And then Jesus touched him. Would you take the posture of that leper and actually become vulnerable in this community of Jesus followers and say, um, yeah, that's me. And we're going to take a moment right now to actually pray for you. And so uh, if you're willing, put up your hand if that was you. And I encourage you to open your eyes if you're, and look around. If there's someone beside you with the hand up, um, move towards them. And I'm going to invite you to put a hand on them. Don't, if you're willing to put your hand up, just keep your hand up for a minute. And I would encourage our, our SunWest prayer teams, if you're available, uh, to actually just move towards someone uh, who's being prayed for. Okay. 
just going to let that happen for a minute here. If you're, a, if you're a group leader, if you're a prayer team member, uh, if there's someone with a hand up, I'd encourage you to move towards them. If you're by someone with a hand up, I would invite you just to lay a hand on them. I'm not asking you to pray for them, uh, but uh, just to, to be present with them. And I am just going to be quiet for a second, and I'm going to invite you, uh, if you're willing, if you're able, just to pray out loud uh, for the person that you're, uh, that you're praying for right now, and then I'll pray in a minute. is not too short, that you are able to reach into uh, the lives of every person here and be present with them. Lord, I pray for uh, each person who kind of hears the story of a leper and, be, and can say, you know, I've experienced what it means to be outcasted, to be rejected, to feel like I'm sitting on the outside looking in all the time. And Lord, I thank you that you don't see them that way. I thank you for you. They're, they're insiders. They are special to you, that you... Uh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And I thank you, Lord, that you reach out the, and that you touch them. And I pray that in this moment, they would actually feel your presence as they sense the presence of your people around them, praying for them, touching them. And Lord, we pray for healing in their lives, not just physical healing, but Lord, we pray for emotional, relational healing. We pray for forgiveness, Lord, that you would give them the capacity to forgive those and those situations, the, the people that maybe contributed to that sense of being on the outside. Lord, would your spirit come and minister to them as we turn our eyes towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for Engaging. Thank you for the bravery of being vulnerable and putting up your hand and allowing people to pray for you. I got one more question. Like I said, there's a double application when it comes to the stories of Jesus. You're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes one more time and just ask you, are there, is there anyone in the room that just feels like that God has challenged you to break some barriers in your life and to reach out a hand and to touch people and to bless people uh, that you have maybe previously been avoiding. Maybe it's a coworker that you've had a hard time with. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's, uh, you know, certain, uh, certain types of people. Is there anyone that feels challenged that Jesus is saying, I want you to break down those barriers and become my hands and feet? And with their eyes closed, I just invite you to put up a hand and say, hey, that's me. That's me. Awesome. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege it is to be
be filled with your spirit, to be your hands and feet in this world. Lord, we know there is brokenness and hurt and pain all around us all the time. And Lord, we thank you that you reach out and touch us and heal us, but we thank you that you don't just leave it there, that you invite us to follow you, to get on your agenda, which is to break barriers and to bring your kingdom into places where people feel like they've been excluded. And Lord, sometimes we are offended, sometimes we've been hurt, and we just recognize this morning that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Lord, and the people that we have a hard time with, for whatever reason, are actually not our enemy, and you're calling us to love them, and your kingdom wants to come into their lives just as it comes into ours. And so I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see people the way you see them, a heart to feel what they feel, Lord, the ability to be compassion. We thank you that you're a God of compassion that suffers with us, and I pray that we would have the capacity to suffer with others. Give us the courage to walk into those brave spaces. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said. As we were worshiping, I just I actually had a strong sense that um, that there was someone in the room that put actually put up their hand and nobody prayed for them. And uh, I don't know if that was you. Uh, but I felt like there was an opportunity that just happened for somebody in this room where for the enemy to just to kind of validate that you were a leper because you put yourself out there and uh, maybe nobody responded. And I just wanted to say sorry about that and that actually that God saw you and that that he loves you. Uh, And so if that's you, I just invite you to receive that. And, uh, and please come forward for prayer. We have opportunity at the end of every service for prayer. Our prayer teams will be, forward, or be at the front. We would love to pray for you. And uh, we have starting point uh, week four happening. And, and that is it. So let me just uh, pray a blessing on you. Father, we just thank you that you see us, that you love us. And Lord, I thank you that when we become courageous and vulnerable, you meet us. Lord, I thank you that you go with us from here uh, and may you give us the courage and the vulnerability to continue to follow you as your disciples and followers. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.